Hello, beautiful souls. We bring you conscious content filled with empowering information. Designed to align you with the fulfilling freedom of activated awareness. I am Rachel Alcyon. And I am Daniel Alcyon. Welcome to to the the Ecstatic Ecstatic Existence Existence Podcast. Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ecstatic Existence Podcast. And we have a fantastic guest with us today. We're really excited about it. I am Daniel. And I'm Rachel. And we're joining you from our little brand new slice of paradise, Sublimity Sanctuary. Uh, We're setting up a sustainable life here from the ground up. And our guest today knows a whole lot about that. We will be talking with Rob Greenfield, who has done A myriad of social experiments, as well as some really cool uh, projects dedicated to show people that the world is actually a kind and loving place. So, Rob, welcome to the show. We're great, uh, very glad to have you here. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's nice to get connected. Yeah, for real, man. So I got turned on to your work, uh, I'd say even a couple years ago, been kind of following your your progress here. And one of the first things that really caught my eye of what you do is dumpster diving. You have this whole um, initiative of reclaiming food that goes to waste. And as a matter of fact, there's even a one of the TED Talks that you have is called How to End the Food Waste Fiasco. So I'd love to start the conversation talking about that a little bit and then talk about more of your current projects as we go on. Sure, that sounds good. So in this TED Talk, it's pretty amazing how you point out the massive amount of waste that is in the current, that in the course of the talk, I just found my jaw dropping and just being like, that's outrageous. That's so wrong to see these you know, you give examples of dump trucks of turnips or parsnips and... Um, yeah, and that you could feed a whole second America off of the food that they throw away. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is truly absurd and it's really hard to understand how bad it is until you really see it. I certainly didn't, uh, you know, four years ago, I didn't know how much food is being wasted. I had never... Maybe I thought about it. You know, you have that whole thing growing up where your parents say, make sure you finish your plate because there's starving people in Africa. Um, but you, you never hear, or at least back then, about how much food we waste. And so I was basically doing a bike ride across the United States, and I decided to start exploring uh, the grocery store dumpsters to see what there might be. And... I just kept getting blown away. I would stop into a town, go around to the back of the grocery store dumpster, and I just found that dumpster after dumpster after dumpster was filled with perfectly good food to the point where, you know, I was gaining weight while biking 70 miles a day, and um, it was just hard to believe, and I started to look more and more into it, just doing more and more research, and the more I looked into it, the more I realized what I was seeing in grocery store dumpsters, which is mind-boggling, was actually just the tip of the, the food waste iceberg. Yeah, you know, it's really outrageous to think that we live in such an abundant society. We're overproducing what we need two times over and then throwing half of that production into the garbage. And then meanwhile, the fact that one single person in America is going hungry is obscene. It's absolutely outrageous. Yeah, and uh, so it's it's about 40 to 50 million Americans are food insecure, and what food insecure means is just 
that they go to bed hungry uh, some days. It doesn't mean every day. You know, we are blessed in the United States not to have starvation. As far as I know, there's no record of anyone starving to death in the United States. But we have 40 to 50 million people that are hungry. And hunger, you know, a lot of people assume it's mostly homeless people. But in reality, it's, it's mostly children and a lot of single moms. And it might be a lot of times your next door neighbor, you don't, you know, the face of hunger is very diverse. And uh, you don't always know who it is. But, but basically, yeah, we produce enough food to feed two entire American population, about an extra 300 million people could be fed off the amount of food that we, you know, produce and then waste, uh, yet, you know, one in seven Americans are food insecure. Yeah, you know, and I also want to highlight that this isn't just happening in the U.S., this is happening all over the world, right? Like, Daniel and I were just in the U.K., and we went into a little uh, grocery store, and this woman is... In Wales, right? um, I think so, and this woman is, like, breaking these gorgeous um, baguettes in half. I mean, they're, like, they were perfectly fine. I actually considered buying one because they had marked them down half off. And then she was, like, stabbing them and breaking them half and throwing in the in the garbage. And I was like, why are you doing this? She's like, well, I have to. This is, I, I, I can't, I can't just, like, give them away or anything. And so I ended up buying a couple for, like, 10, 10 pence or something like that. Yeah. Just so that they wouldn't go in the garbage. Um, and she, yeah. she was required to destroy them before she put them in the dumpster. Yeah, some places have crazy policies like that. Um, and so, you know, but it's important to say that in the United States, grocery stores, restaurants, catering programs, basically anyone who, you know, any food businesses, they're protected by the Good Samaritan Food Donation Act. So they are able to donate food to nonprofits, the food banks, the food shelves, and they don't have to worry about um, getting sued. If someone gets sick, they're protected. And that that liability is passed on to the place they donate, not to themselves. Yeah, which is really, that's so good for people to know. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that also comes up is quite ludicrous that you point out in this TED Talk is how a big majority of this food that gets wasted and thrown into the dumpster is largely due to cosmetic reasons. Like anything from a banana that isn't quite quite the perfect banana shape to a blemish or scuff on the packaging. Yeah, it really is. Like a lot of people, when they imagine food waste, they imagine, you know, maybe a leftover plate of spaghetti or, a, you know, the crust of pizza or, you know, an apple that someone took a bite of. But most food waste is perfect food that has never made it to the, you know, to the person, to the individual. It's food that's wasted at the farm level, wasted at the grocery store level, the retail level, the manufacturing level, all food that, has never been touched and that is so good that you could fool even the top 1% of the country into eating it, uh, not knowing that it was wasted food. Well, and we live in such a disposable society that, yeah, if it, if it is blemished at all or it doesn't fit this sort of cookie cutter model, it, it gets thrown out. Um, I remember working um, at, at World Market, actually, where they do have some food, and mostly it's, it's like home products, like furniture and stuff, and, and they would have us write things off if it had like a little scratch on it, or, or this gorgeous pillow, if one of the tags was like a little bit ripped or coming off, um, then we had to throw it in the dumpster, and so I ended up 
um, in my early 20s outfitting most of my home along with many of my friends homes from some of these write-off items that would just end up going in the dumpster instead of putting them in the dumpster I put them in my car or I'd sneak it out of the dumpster after work um, and so yeah I'm, I'm quite familiar with dumpster diving however I was doing it for like aesthetic homes home goods and not food and so now I'm super inspired to to go get food out of the dumpster I mean we watched your a couple of your TED talks last night and Daniel and I were like let's go dumpster diving <laughs> so we're yeah we're like lit up about that well while we're on that so of course the you know my primary message isn't to go dumpster diving it's let's not put any of this food in the dumpsters in the first place let's let's change the system so that they're so that dumpsters no longer even exist. However, in the meantime, the food is in the dumpsters. Uh, you know, we might as well save ourselves a ton of money, which means we can work less and do what we love more. Uh, you know, save food from going to the landfill, share it with people in need. And so, again, the main message isn't to dumpster dive, but say it is one of the most enjoyable things that I do. And, and it's such a it's such a beautiful thing to be able to, like, literally be able to share thousands of dollars of food with people. Uh, it's, like, one of the most abundant feelings. So thank you for redirecting that. And um, how do people then create this shift where the food stops going into the dumpster? Well, there's a lot of different things. I mean, one is to stop supporting the systems that are causing that waste in the first place. So, for example, local farmers, you know, small local farmers that are much more connected with their food usually waste a lot less of it. And if they do waste it, it's usually fed to animals or composted. So it's not, at the, at the very least, of course, everybody wastes some food, but at least it's not thrown into a dumpster. So growing your own food is another thing. Um, uh, so growing your own food and supporting local farmers are a way to like remove yourself from the really destructive globalized wasteful food system. But that's not an option necessarily for everyone. Um, and so what you can do with the grocery store is just be proactive because they care what their customers think. So if you're their customer, you have you have the power of you're in the shore the store, the manager's there, you can talk to them and say, hey, you know, I really like shopping here, but um, I want to know, what do you do with your excess food? Do you donate it to a nonprofit or do you throw it away? Maybe go around back and check the dumpsters so that way you actually know um, so you're not going into the conversation blind. And so encouraging them to change their practices if they need to be, which most basically any large grocery store is wasting a lot of food. Yeah, those are some great tips because it's important to know things we can do about it. And, you know, it's one thing to know the problem. And it's another thing to know what we can do about it. So that's really wonderful. Uh, I'd love to talk about some of your other projects, too. I mean, we could spend the whole time just talking about Well, let's talk about garbage. Let's since, talk about garbage. Since we're already digging around in dumpsters, right? Yeah, for sure. One of the other really interesting projects that you've done, Rob, was to live the standard American life for 30 days for one month. But here's the twist is you wore every single piece of trash that you created in a big Stay Puff Marshmallow garbage suit and you wore it around New York City. So that is amazing. And by the end of it, it was huge. It was this big bulk trash body. 
Yeah, and um, yeah, basically the idea, I like to try to create visuals that help people to understand sort of complex issues in a very easy to understand way. So like with the dumpster diving, what I would do to make people understand is I'd collect thousands of dollars of the food, lay it out in, in uh, like basically food, food mandalas and see this, these beautiful displays of food and show this is all from dumpsters within the last, that I've collected the last day or two. So I was trying to think of how can it really be impactful? And uh, so I just thought, what better way than to live like the average person and just have to wear every piece of trash that I created? The average person creates four and a half pounds of trash per day, which is just a number. Like for most people, it's just a number. Maybe it sounds like a lot. But to see that four and a half pounds of trash a day on my body, just living like the average person, I thought that would be an impactful way for people to self-reflect because that's what it's all about. I do things that hopefully get people to think about themselves through my own actions. Which well, which is really amazing because, you know, you can talk about it and you can preach about it and you can yell and scream about it and make a bunch of noise. But but really the visuals and the, and the way that you present things, you know, in this... Um, this really loving and, and playful and kind of funny um, way. It just really drives it home. I mean, when I saw you in that, that suit with all the garbage and you said, this is what a human creates, one person in one month, imagine now six months, 12 months, 10 years, an entire lifetime. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, I gasped out loud. Like, wow, holy shit, that's so much garbage. And then that's just one person. And then you consider like new, just in New York City, you look around at all those other people so and they're people. each creating that much. It's like skyscrapers and landscapes of garbage, you know? And so by the end of this thing, if you created on average about four pounds of trash a day, your suit had to weigh 120 pounds by the end of all this. Yeah, it, it, it's really, it, that's the thing is that we're, we have become so disconnected from our actions and that's not by accident. I mean, Basically, most of our actions have been monetized. The food we eat, the water we drink, the way just moving our body through public transportation or driving, um, the uh, you know the electricity that we use, how water. we eat our homes, um, everything we you know all of our all of our clothes, shelter. Basically, you know, almost every single one of our actions as a human being has been monetized. And so, but the thing is, once things are monetized and once things become commodities, they become controlled by large corporations that have their own agendas. And the primary agenda is to make as much money as possible. And so they mostly practice one bottom line, and that's profit. The triple bottom line, which is a new way of doing things, is people, planet, and profit. But basically, when we live these monetized lives, that are, you know, based on other people making profit off of our own lives, based involved in them. But now, of course, we don't want to see that waste. So what they do is they externalize it and they hide it. So we don't see any of that. Um, and and uh, that's how we're able to continue living these very carefree lives without ever really seeing it, because it's all behind the curtain, all behind the scenes. Well, and something that you have said is that if it's if it's easy, that means that it's someone else's problem. 
Yeah, that's that's the big thing that I've learned with all of my actions is I would just constantly question myself with the things I was doing. And when things were very easy, I would just constantly say, why is this so easy? Why is this so convenient? Because I know it wasn't. I know this wasn't easy, say, 200 years ago. Like, for example, driving across the United States in a car. I know that a long time ago, most people who attempted to get across the United States would have died, that it being that hard or never could have even attempted it. So, that, for example, with the car, why is it so easy? <clears throat> In that scenario, it's because all the work is being outsourced. Uh, that all of the uh, gasoline that, you know, you have your standard 10,000 oil spills that happen per year. You have the places where there's oil refineries, people that live next to that, they're breathing this toxic air. They have often a three or four times higher rate of cancer next to the oil refineries in places like New Orleans and Texas. Um, and then, so basically you have all of these, all of these externalities and that's where the burden is being placed and that's why it's easy. So that's really about the balance of life for me now is how can I live in a way where I'm not just making other people pay for my easy existence? Yeah. And that the convenience definitely carries over all the way into something that uh, most people never think about, which is our own biological waste, right? Like our feces. Uh, it's so easy to just have it go in the toilet. You don't need to think about it. You flush the flush the handle and then there it goes with 1.6 gallons of fresh clean water gone forever gone forever took care of that <laughs> and so what do you do in that approach what do you do differently when it comes to your bathroom necessities your elimination so the ideal case scenario is composting and the thing is like we say waste human waste but i've definitely been learning and as a matter of fact i've met um uh, Joe Jenkins, he's the author of the Human Newer Handbook, basically the world's foremost expert on poop. He's called the the Duke of Duty. Oh, uh, is the he the? Uh, did he make the lovable Lou? I don't know. Uh, I don't. He, uh, I don't think he did that. But his book is the Human Newer Handbook, and it's in like many languages around the world. Really cool guy. Um, but he corrected me. He said it's not waste. Nope. Uh, it's only. It's only. That, like naturally poop is not waste it's just a cycling of nutrients and so ultimately it should be I sh it should be called poop or pee but never human waste um but so the ideal case scenario is composting uh poop and pee and uh it can be done in a totally safe manner uh we could go into that if we wanted to or people it's my favorite subject i love talking about poop What's that? You like talking about poop? Oh, yeah. It's my favorite subject. Oh, cool. I like to talk about poop quite a bit as well. Well, I actually, I'm not a huge fan of just talking about, you know, turds and stuff. I'm more a fan of talking about, like, solutions of ways to deal with poop wisely. That's what I like talking about. For sure. <laughs> but, um, so composting... It's very simple. I mean, anybody who's composted their yard waste and their kitchen waste, it's done basically the same way. You let it compost longer. There's some very basic safety things, and it creates incredible soil, and it has zero waste. No water is wasted. Uh, no product for someone else. You know, no waste resource. No waste 
for someone else to deal with instead it makes something that can nourish the land and and grow food and plants yeah and that's a complete cycle that has been going on for millennia that only in this modern era we've uh decided convenience was more important and now passed it on to somebody else and then that black gold you know that night soil and nourishment and nutrients became waste because we flushed it away with all this clean water well and daniel and i you know because we've been out on our land now for probably about 10 days and so i've been just having the joy of going to the bathroom outside a lot and then we also have our rv um and then we are really kind of gathering the materials that we need for a composting toilet setup. So we're super excited about that. Um, this, this interview couldn't have come at a better time. And Daniel, you were actually telling me earlier today about in China. Oh yeah. I read this article that was talking about this, um, a white, you know, tradesman that went over in like the 1800s, like 1805 and went to China and he was totally amazed that there were no flies. There were no flies or pests of any kind. And at first, he was really confused by that, but then it turned out that the reason for that was because the uh, farmers would come into town every day, and they would collect all the night soil, which is just another word for feces. So they would con collect all the night soil and all the compostable goods, any and all food scraps, anything that could possibly be composted yeah. and turned into to use, they would collect and take away out into the farms. And so the flies and the pests had nothing to eat. So it was actually a very clean society, and um, there were sewer systems, but those were only for water runoff. They wouldn't actually use that for any of the, the human nutrients. Interesting. As compared to New York City 100 years ago, where poop was so thick on the water because they dumped it right into the water that you could practically walk. On the, I mean, I'm somewhat joking, but they literally just dumped the poop into the water that they depended on. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, and there's that thing, there's a nice hurdle of getting over that um, uncomfortability or getting over like the distastefulness that we all have ingrained in us from society that poop is so gross and it's so unmentionable that we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. And the only way you can talk about it is in a joking manner. But instead of getting reconnected with your actual bodily fluids, you know, your the system of your digestion, it's in a in a literal way because the world is so fractal you learn to deal with your own shit. Most people don't have to deal with their own shit and they like it that way. But so when you choose to actively like use a composting toilet or even as we have like live on a boat or an RV where you have a you have a um, limited reservoir of which your fluids go into, you become aware of dealing with your shit. Yeah. Yeah, it is a it is an interesting time to be alive because it's it's a short period of the human existence where I think this will be the case. You know, for most of the entire human existence, people had to deal with their poop. And I, I would, I would guess that we again will be reconnected with our poop in the not so distant future. Yes, definitely. Um, something else that, that really makes you aware of your, you know, your output and your input is living in a, a tiny, a tiny home. Daniel and I lived on our uh, boat for four years and now we're in a a motorhome camper on our land. And so we're acutely aware of exactly how much water we're using, exactly how much power, you know, we have to utilize before, you know, we trip a breaker. Um, and, and like Daniel said, how much, um, you know, of our black water is going out. So, 
I, that's what I love about actually small home living is is really knowing what my carbon footprint is. And um, I'd love to get into your story. You lived in a how many square feet? Fifty. Yeah, fifty square feet. That's amazing. Small. Yeah. Yeah, fifty square feet is like you know for some people barely even. That's like a a eighth of their closet maybe. That's like one eighth of their actual closet in their bedroom. Yeah, I've been in closets much bigger than the house that I lived in, and and bathrooms, also bathrooms that were quite a bit larger. Oh man, some bathroom bathrooms are gigantic. You could have like a whole living room in the bathroom. Yeah, pretty much. So, what was it like living in fifty square feet? And you did this in San Diego, right? Yes. Um, well, yeah, I was planning on building a bigger, tiny house than that. It was maybe seventy-five square feet or a hundred that I had in my my mind but what happened is i i was actually going to buy just a little camper something simple to live in while i built my own tiny house and then i went on the craigslist it was new year's day of 2015 i think yeah and uh i saw this little little kind of wooden style tiny house on craigslist that said it was 950 and at first, I thought it was a mistake because that's like very little money. That's less than a month's rent for a lot of people. So I thought for a little house, that must be a typo. But I went up there and uh, I realized why it was only $950. It was it was like a kid's playhouse, sort of like a, like a little shed on wheels, basically. But um, it was like just big enough for me to live in. Well, you do take things well, to extremes. You you really like to take you, things to extremes in like a lot of different ways. And so, you know, a tiny house living, some people think of like as 200 square feet, like you said, 150. But so you did that in 50 square feet. And that's really commendable. And I think a cool, you know, experiment and also just a test of yourself to see what's possible. You know, it shows a cool example, Rob, and I really commend you for that. Yeah. And something. Yeah, and, uh, oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say the, that's the idea is, you know, none of us should have to live in 50 square feet. The earth is big enough for us to have a bigger house than that. But I just like to do things that really get people to think. And, you know, the thing is, what I do is extreme. But the reality is that right now, the Western way of life is actually extreme. The amount of resources that we use, uh, the inequality, the, it, it's very extreme. And so what I hope to do is have people reflect on how extreme in the other direction there that their lives are reflect on, wow, my house is way too big. And by me going to the other end of the spectrum, that's what I hope to do is shine a light on the other end of the spectrum. And then hopefully, you know, we, we can live in a way that works for and the other species that we share the earth with. Definitely. You know, something that I love about your, your experiments or um, the work that you do is that it kind of, it demystifies the, the, I think the fears that people have. I think the reason people are, are constantly like consuming and bringing in more and more and bigger and bigger is all really fear-based. And we've been told that we need, you know, all these different things to survive and that you cannot have a healthy, uh, vibrant life without, all of these particular things, you know, belongings and food and whatever. And so, you know, through your experiments, um, 
and through the work that you do, you're really showing people, no, look, you can actually thrive in just a few square feet. Look, you can actually thrive by uh, living out of, you know, dumpsters if you had to. Um, you know, you can, you can really, like, do anything and everything that you want um, with no money, which brings me to the next subject of uh, traveling the world with, with no money. Yeah, so that's, um, I mean, I guess for me, it kind of started with this idea of can you exist today without money? I mean, of course, the human, the human, the history of humans is that, you know, 99.9% of it has existed without money, you know, without paper or without any sort of paper currency or anything like that. And, um, you know, but today there's a saying, you know, what, what is it? The world revol revolves around money or money makes the world go round. Right. And generally that's people's beliefs that you literally cannot exist of money. And so that was pretty deeply ingrained into me. And I want, you know, a big part of what, everything that I do is it's seeking truth. It's, it's seeking also sanity. Uh, and so I wanted to see, is it possible to live without money? And so, I like to do projects that test myself and and help me to understand life a little better. And so I thought one way to do that would be to land in a far off country with no money and have to make it home um, so that I was forced into a situation where I had to practice existing without money. It's brilliant. You know, some people are just so terrified to even like leave their house or or to like yeah, travel to any other country, um, or go anywhere without even like their cell phone or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I really, when I heard that you did this, um, cause I have traveled internationally by myself and, and that freaked so many people out. Like you're like this young woman and you know, so many things could happen. And, um, and I've gone with really small amounts of money, but never no money. And I, yeah, I just really, sat with what you were doing and I tried that on and I was like, man, that would really push a huge edge for me. I would be really scared. Um, but thank you for proving that it's totally possible. Yeah. And, you know, I should, I do want to mention that it's, you know, I am a white male from a Western country. And so obviously I was born with a lot of privilege. Like my life is a lot easier being born as a white male from a Western country, I think that a lot of foundations have been laid that make life a lot easier for me. And so I don't want to leave that out at all, that that does, that does certainly make it easier for me to do a lot of what I'm doing. But the whole purpose of it is to draw attention to the inequalities and the inner system that, that make that existence even possible in the first place. Um, and also just because well, to start uh, thinking about these sorts of things as well, because although those inequalities exist and those privileges do exist, there's still millions and millions of people who think we just have these delusional ideas um, of, of, you know, that we need money to exist, that we, that, you know, community that, uh, yeah, I, I think you know what I mean. 
Yeah, and part of that's because what you're talking about earlier, everything's been monetized. So when you believe that you need money to have your basic needs met of existence, you need a roof over your head, you need food to eat, you need clothing, right? All of those things will cost money, so therefore you need money to live. Your life costs money, which... When they get you to believe that, which everyone believes that, then they have you in the system. You know what I mean? You're like, every single thing you do, you'll be thinking of in value terms of money instead of just living. And nobody even knows how to just plain live anymore. So you're helping pave the way there and show people how to remember. You're helping people remember how to just live. Yeah, I like, I like that. Just helping people remember how to live. That's, that's a pretty important thing. Yeah, like it the is. most important thing. And, you know, one of the really cool things, this is a, a recent project that you just wrapped up with, is talking about showing people how to live, is maybe showing people, like, the goodness of humanity. You head out on a cross-country bike ride with strangers, right? You met up with strangers and then rode across the country doing good deeds and showing that people were inherently good. Yeah, so um, I had... I had done two cross-country rides on my own, and then my girlfriend and I were talking about doing one this summer, and then we decided we would invite anybody who wanted to come. And uh, so New York City, May 29th of this year, we met at Central Park. There ended up being 32 people there, and we set out the next day. Um, basically, there was you know a few people who knew a few people, but for the most part, it was just a group of strangers from, I think we were from seven countries. Uh, it was about half women and half men and um so it was a pretty awesome diverse group of people with different backgrounds um the oldest guy was 67 the youngest person was 18 i think and uh our goal was just to bike across the country just doing good deeds planting gardens fruit trees cleaning up trash and just doing kind of random acts of sustainability and kindness random acts of sustainability and kindness I think, my friend, you have just titled this episode because every single episode gets a special title and I think Random Acts of Sustainability and Kindness takes the cake. Yeah. That works. And through that work, you were really deeply nourished as well, right? I mean, that's that's how, how it works is, you know, when we do good, then we we get all the goodness as well. Well, that's the whole thing about all of this is that people think that they're giving something up when they, you know, talk about, you know, Simplicity, less possessions, um, you know, maybe a smaller house, less money, you know, maybe taking a job where they earn less. Um, a lot of times people think that this is all giving up. But ultimately, I found that the more that I've given, the more that I've really received, the more time that I dedicate to others, the more time people dedicate to me, the more goodness that I spread, the more goodness I receive back. The more smiles I give, the more smiles I receive back. So ultimately, I've found myself, my life has improved drastically. I've become more positive by by spreading basically goodness and positivity. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons that I keep going. I always, I always say, you know, none of us need to be selfless, but we can all give up being selfish because, um, the thing is, the happiest people, it seems to me the happiest people on earth are the people that, that give the most. And so part of what I'm doing is just making my life better all the time because I like to live a good life. 
And I've also heard you talk about how some of this good life you found was through minimalism and through letting a lot of things go. You know, like you own, what, you own a hundred, around a hundred possessions in your whole world? Well, it was 111 when I set out from San Diego a year and a half ago, and it, it varies. Um, it's probably around 111 to 140 right now or something. I haven't counted for a little while. But, I mean, just that process of having less things opens you up to so much more. You know, you're you're less bogged down. There's less gravity and weight and mass to your world. There's less things to tend to. And the things that you do have, you really prize. So that's a really cool process, too, that you've gotten to share is that in the letting go of the stuff, you actually open yourself up to so much more. It really is. And, and the thing is, it's all sorts of stuff that I never would have realized because, you know, like, this is a tough one to talk about for most people, death. But the thing is, you don't know what, when you do A, you don't know what B is going to be. You don't know what your action is going to result in. And so, like, simplifying my life and practicing minimalism sort of to the extreme, one thing I never realized is how much it would really make me more accepting of my impermanence and of death. And so, but one of the ways that's happened is because I own nothing right now that doesn't fit on my bicycle everything that i own fits with me and um and it's very minimal it's probably like cost wise my you know my total value of possessions is maybe like three thousand dollars or something i have twelve hundred dollars to my name right now i have no bills uh no bank accounts no credit or debit card no debt and so the thing is i've simplified my life to the point where I don't have anything to worry about anywhere else, which allows me to be fully present where I am because there's no physical things that I have to worry about anywhere else. Um, but also, if I die, nobody has to deal with any of my stuff, any of my financial aspects. I have made my life much simpler to the point where impermanence is okay because if I die, I'm not worried about what I'm leaving behind for other people to deal with. And ultimately, it's been one of the most, you know, relieving things is that now, because my life is so much simpler, I, I just, uh, like, I just been able to accept some of those things like death much easier than I ever could in the past. Yeah, talk about literally leaving a small footprint, you know, having nobody has to take care of your so quote assets after you after you pass so that's really great so i have some practical questions that maybe our our listeners would be interested in where uh where do you live then so um when i left the tiny house in san diego um about a year and a half ago i've been traveling ever since cheryl and i uh, my girlfriend have been traveling for the last year and a half and so we uh we camp a lot. I carry my tent with me. And then we also do uh, like warm showers, which is a network of cyclists who host cyclists or couch surfing, stay with friends and family. And so, I, and then the big one also is that so many of the projects that I do while I'm doing the projects, because I'm volunteering in the community. So somebody hosts me um, or I do a lot of public speaking 
and so usually someone in the community will host me then. And uh, so we're doing this for about two years, and then when I get to Orlando, uh, this winter we get to Orlando, and then we're going to build a tiny house um, and not not like fully settled down or anything, but be more settled. And and then how that works is because I don't live with very much money in exchange for using someone's unused backyard um, to put my tiny house and grow food and such. I help improve the house. So I build them gardens, uh, you know, rainwater harvesting, composting, um, and do some work around the place in order to really add value to their home and use a space that they weren't using anyway. And, you know, that's a commodity that never fails. You know, when you go to a system of exchange and barter of real goods and services that isn't based on, like, fiat currency issued by the government, that's what it's really about. Yeah, that's what's going to make and relationship. this world grow and thrive, you know? Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Community and relationship. That's the big part about it is that, you know, people think security lies in money, but I think security lies in relationships. And that's the most important thing that I've learned is that it's relationships, it's understanding the world, which allows you to have better relationships with the earth, with the environment, with the, the animals and the plants that, that exist uh, with us. And so to me, that's where, um, that's where security lies, relationships with people and with the the earth that we live on that's beautiful rob thank you so much for being with us uh how can people find out more about your work and what's the best way to connect with and follow you uh just my website's just robgreenfield.org and there's tons of guides on there for for example how to travel the united states for free without mooching uh how and where to sleep for free all sorts of guides like on how to, um, you know, start your own environmental activism campaigns, how to create less waste, how to, you know, simplify your life. So I really have a lot of detailed information for people that want to learn more about the things that we talked about. And then I'm on uh, social media, mostly Facebook, uh, but also uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you just type in Rob Greenfield into any of those, you'll find me on there. And um and I do a lot of traveling and public speaking. So uh, if you go to robgreenfield.org slash speaking schedule, you can see if I'm coming to your area and you can come come out and get involved and um, get, a, get a hug. Yeah, awesome. Maybe let Rob sleep on your couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I would highly recommend any listeners out there to check out the two TED Talks. I think these two TED Talks really sum up a lot of Rob's projects. And that is the one talk, Be the Change in a Messed Up World. And the second talk, How to End the Food Waste Fiasco. Please check these out. Learn more about this man's great projects. Yeah, they're so good. Uh, as always, we love you. I'm Rachel Alcyon, and you can find me at my website, rachelalcyon.com. Um, it's a bit dated, so uh, a better place to check me out would be on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I have lots of Pinterest boards that talk about a lot of this stuff, so please go follow those. And, um, yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm here to support you in any way. Um, you can come out to Sublimity Sanctuary. We're just getting established here, but we would sure love to see you and meet you and, and hang out. 
Yeah, do a little work trade. We'll put you to work cutting some cutting some limbs and you can post up in a tent. Yeah. So I'm Daniel Elsian. Been great connecting with you all. Uh, you can reach out to me, ecstaticexistence.com. Um, you can check me out on social media as well uh, under Ecstatic Existence or Daniel Elsian. You will find me there. There's so much love for you here. Stay ecstatic, everybody.